Acts chapter, and we're going to talk about uh, this vision Peter had, and uh, we'll be looking at this over uh, a few weeks, but it's uh, a vision Peter has where he is literally and thoroughly confused. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where you've been completely confused. Uh, maybe you heard God speak to you and it didn't make any sense, or saw a vision and it didn't make sense, or maybe you were just in some random situation at work or wherever, and you were thoroughly confused. Well, we're going to talk about that today, because Peter was very confused in this passage, and uh, we're going to jump right in. It says, Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, became a leader of the early church in Jerusalem before it spread out around the world. It says he went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone up on the roof to pray, but uh, if you want to get away from everybody, you go up on the roof. Uh, but, see, this is one of the issues when we read our culture into the text, we think about roofs like this. They had flat roofs. Uh, they, it was basically like uh, living quarters for them in their house. They lived up there, they did laundry up there, did all kinds of things up there. It was like their living room. And if you still go to a lot of other countries other than the snow belt, you will see people with living spaces up on their flat roof. So Peter is hanging out on the deck, and uh, he's waiting for the meal to be prepared. And uh, most likely in that patriarchal world, it would have been uh, probably Peter's wife. And by the way, Peter did have a wife. We meet her uh, the odd time spoken about in the scriptures. Uh, for instance, in Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with a fever. And it's... A believing wife with us, as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do, as does as uh, as Peter does, and so Peter has a wife, and so he's up there uh, on the rooftop, and he's hungry, and he's praying, and he's waiting for perhaps it was his wife, perhaps it was someone else who was cooking the meal, and um, there's actually an interesting church. Uh, kind of legend tradition surrounding Peter and his wife, and it has to do with, with, with their crucifixion. Both Peter and his wife, according to legend, Christian legend, were crucified. And they were crucified in, in basically the same period, and early Christianity sometimes got in trouble for being a private religion. Uh, Christians often met in their house, which, was, which kind of was weird for the Roman Empire, because you know, everything religious was supposed to be really public and, you know, you, you worship the em emperor and the Christians kind of hidden away. So sometimes the early church leaders got themselves into trouble. And Peter did, and his wife. And uh, they led them out to be crucified. But before, um, Peter's wife was actually crucified first. And as she was being led out, the legend has it that he, the last words he said to her were, remember the Lord. And then she was led out to be crucified. And then Peter goes to be crucified. And he, he begged the, uh, the persecutors to crucify him upside down because he, he felt it was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as, as Jesus. And the legend has it that he was actually crucified upside down. And this is where we get the, the upside down cross from. It's the cross of humility or the, the, the cross of St. Peter. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes the odd Christian sometimes freaks out when they see an upside-down cross because they think it's like, this is demonic because it's upside-down. Well, actually, if you trace the history, it's a very Christian symbol. It's a symbol of humility and, and a symbol of, of how Peter died. And so if you see things like this is the late Pope John Paul with the upside-down cross, or sometimes he would wear it, you know, there were people like, oh, see, he's involved in the occult. Well, no, it's, this is the cross of humility. It wasn't until like the 19th century that in some forms the upside-down cross was used in some ways in the occult, but it actually stands for a stance of humility and, and to remember how Peter died. And so he's up on this roof, and he's waiting for a meal, and I guess if you get hungry enough, sometimes you do have a vision or fall into a trance, but it happened to Peter. <laughs> it says he fell into a trance. Do you know what bonking is? Yeah, well... I used to race mountain bikes. So if you're into heavy exercise, we call it bonking. You, know, you do something exercise for a long, long time, and you get hungry, and you basically lose your mind. It's called bonking because they're so hungry. I'm not sure if that's what happened, but he did fall into a trance, and it says he saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And so he has this trance, and in this trance he sees the sheet with all kinds of critters on it. And sometimes people ask, you know, well, what is the difference between, you know, trance of vision and a dream? And, uh, and first I threw up a couple paintings here. There's in uh, some art history in the 14th, 1400. Uh, some guy did a rendition of Peter's dream like this and see like a lizard and a dragon looking thing and a rabbit and an otter or something up there. In, uh, in this one, uh, this one looks more cozy. looks like a cow and a dog or something. I'm not sure what's up there. But uh, 1600s, this one was written of Peter's vision. Now, what's the difference between a vision, a trance, and a dream? Um, I think we all know what kind of dreams are. Dreams are more like images, thoughts, and emotions that we can see and sometimes feel. If you've ever had like a scary dream or a dream of passion or love, you can feel that while you're completely asleep. And a vision is sort of similar, but you're awake. Maybe like intense day, daydreaming, or sometimes people when they're awake, they like, see images. There's kind of like a, maybe a, a vague movie, but they're actually awake. That would be more a vision. And then you have a trance, which is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Uh, but it would be a visionary state accompanied by a profound loss of one's surroundings and body. The Greek word actually means a displacement of the mind from its ordinary state. And so this is like, you know, when you're like, nobody's home kind of vision. Um, and Peter says in this trance later, he'll actually say that in this trance he saw a vision. And so they're kind of combined. This is like an intense vision. He's completely out of it. Uh, he doesn't know what, what is going on, but he has this vision of these, these animals coming down. And, and there will be times when God will give us uh, dreams and visions as well. It's one of the ways that he will speak to us. And, and in Numbers 12, uh, God says, I reveal myself to them in visions and speak to them in dreams. Or in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. In fact, this is a promise for, for all people. Uh, after Jesus rose from the grave, there's this promise that for, for us in Acts chapter 2, it says, in the last days, which I mean, it was ever since Jesus, um, in the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And, and there is this, this realm where God will speak to us through visions and through dreams. This does, definitely does not mean every vision and dream is from God. 
because sometimes it's just a pizza ate last night. Sometimes it's just things you're worried about. Uh, but, but often uh, there, there can be meaning in that. And, and sometimes those, those visions we have can actually be from God. And so it's worth exploring when you have a memorable dream or if you have a vision to ask, you know, God, is this from, is this from you? Is, this, is there meaning in this? Because there very well might be. And we see God does throughout the Bible lots of different times for different reasons. Sometimes you might get a dream or a vision for a warning. Could be encouragement. Could be for guidance. Might be for intimacy and conversation. Might be revealing the future. Could be instructions or, or commands. Uh, even speaking to people who don't follow God. We see that a lot in the Bible, in the world today, that God speaks through dreams and visions to, to folks who, who don't even know who God really is. And, and God speaks because He loves us. And just as I speak to you and you speak to me, God speaks to us, not necessarily in the same way, but one of the ways He does is through dreams and visions. And so if you feel uh, you have a dream, one of the best things to do is just to write it down or if you all have a vision. Uh, because the reality is that you can't interpret your dream or vision if you don't remember it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll wake up and go, oh, that was an amazing dream. And five minutes later, I'm like, I don't remember what it was. Maybe you just, I just forget things quick. Uh, but just write it down. And in fact, this is what like Daniel, like the dream guy, guru in the Bible, he, he says this, Daniel had a dream filled with visions while he was lying on his bed. And so there we see the combination of dream and vision together. So then he wrote it down, down the dream in a summary fashion. This is good practice. Write down the dream and to pray through it and to, to work through it. And maybe you find out, maybe it was just the pizza last night, but you might find out this is a real uh, important message of intimacy or encouragement from God to you. Uh, we see that uh, dreams and visions can be very symbolic or very literal and often they seem to be more symbolic than literal. In fact, in the Bible, a lot of people from their dreams and visions seem to be confused at first. And you read them, especially in the prophets, they seem very confusing. And this is why it's important to write it down because often we're going to need help to figure out what in the world God is actually saying. And so this is where uh, we can ask God and ask others. Uh, in Genesis 40, it says, Do not interpretations belong to God. Uh, God is the one who gives them. So he's got the interpretation. Uh, only God knows what your dream means. And, and they've actually done studies, psychological studies, about dream interpretation. And they have found out that there is no correlation between one person's dream and another person's dream. <laughs> so if you come to a, a, you know, a system where lions always mean this and rainbows always mean this and thunder always means this and someone's got a system of dream interpretation, well, that's kind of been poo-pooed by science. Um, only God knows what it means. And so we go to God say, God... Was this from you? And what does it mean? But God has also gifted folks in the church as well to help with interpretation. And we see Daniel was one of those people. Uh, it says Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And Joseph in the Bible was one of those kinds. And so uh, just for curiosity's sake, I mean, do any of you feel like you have like the gift of interpreting dreams? This one there, yeah, yeah, there. Mark at the back, yeah. So if you have a dream, uh, Cara there, I think, yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> if you have a dream, write it down, ask God, and if you still can't figure it out, yeah, there's folks here you can go up and say, hey, you know, I had this dream, it was really weird, what do you think? And uh, you may find out, again, that there's, there, I mean, I've heard some stories of amazing things that have come through people's dreams and, and visions. And so Peter has this dream, and uh, it says, 
he sees all these animals coming down, and it says he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. And so it says this voice said to Peter, and Peter just assumes it's God because Peter calls him Lord. But then the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was perplexed, what could the vision mean? And we see this here, that that vision was actually repeated three times. And some people will use this to help figure out if, if a dream is from God or a vision is from God. Because sometimes when God speaks to you and you're really unsure, you just give it back to Him. And then if it comes back again, it might be maybe a sign that it, it may be from Him. But either way, if you receive a dream or a vision and are thoroughly confused, you're in good hands because so was Peter. Peter is completely perplexed by this dream, uh, this vision. He is very confused. And, and I don't know if you've ever been confused, but I've been confused numerous times. I think I'm always confused, actually. Uh, but I remember last year, I was very confused because I woke up one morning and uh, I went out. We have a, like a sliding glass door on our deck. And I, I woke up and literally there was this gigantic toad on my deck looking in the window. And I'm like, this is really weird because it's like the biggest toad I've ever seen. And it's looking in my window. Why is it looking in the window like this and not moving? And I, was, I was looking at it and like, just, I was so confused about this gigantic toad. And, and so I like went up to this thing closer and closer and closer. I opened the door and this thing did not move. I'm like so confused. And then I realized this thing's not even real. It's a fake toad. <laughs> but if you've been to my house, you know I live in the middle of nowhere. So then I'm even more confused. Like how in the world did this gigantic fake toad get on my deck when it wasn't there when I went to bed? And uh, later I found out my dad snuck it up and put it on my deck. But <laughs> I mean, we get confused. When all rational thinking makes, makes zero sense, and this is what happened to Peter. He is completely confused by this vision. The question is why? Why was he confused? The reason he is confused is because Peter knew his Bible well. He knew the scriptures very, very well. And in this vision, he, there are all these unclean animals, and God says to eat them. Now, God is actually asking Peter to do something against what would have been his Bible. You know, that verse, all scriptures inspired, useful. That, that was written before the New Testament. That was the, I mean, means the Old Testament too. And that was, that was Peter's Bible. And this vision completely contradicts the scriptures he knows. And now we use that as one of the ways to figure out if something's God or not. Like, how do you know if it's from God or not? Well, does it line up with the Bible or not? But this vision from God actually didn't line up with the Scriptures. And this is one of the reasons he's confused. Like, there's like whole chapters in the Old Testament about certain animals you shouldn't eat. Like, all of Leviticus 11. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat. Any animal that has divided hoof and that chews the cud, it always reminds me of a baseball player when I hear that for some reason, I don't know why. Uh, they are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. 
So these are the foods you can eat. You couldn't eat the camel, which I'm not really into eating camel. The rabbit and the pig, I've eaten those before. Uh, you must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. And so uh, don't eat camel, don't eat rabbit, don't eat pig, and there's some other animals in there. Uh, but then it goes on. It says, all creatures in the sea are streams that do not have fins or sca and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. So they couldn't eat common things that we eat, like shrimp and prawns and lobsters and scallops and mussels and oysters and squid and octopus and crab. I mean, there's all these animals that were unclean. And Peter in this vision sees, you know, you know bacon wraps prawns and bacon and pork and you know, all these, this, this food that he can't eat. And, and, he, and, and, and he hears this voice that says, eat them. And, but it's like, well, what about Leviticus 11? And what about all these verses that say I can't? I mean, you wonder why. It's obviously, he's confused. I mean, I would be thoroughly confused as well. And this was not like an optional thing like God is saying, you know, bacon's not always the best for you. You can eat it or not eat it. God was very serious about not eating unclean foods. I mean, look at how Leviticus ends. It says, do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or, or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, and every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the clean, unclean, and the clean between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be, be eaten. So, uh, I mean, God was very serious about this. And Peter has this vision and God says, eat, eat all this stuff. So you can see why in, in this vision, Peter's like, no, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. This is, this, is, this is wrong. And God says, again, eat it. And three times he has this vision trying to convince Peter that it's okay to eat bacon. I was very confused what could the vision mean? And sometimes we might receive a vision or a dream from God that really confuses us. And again, that's okay because it seems to, to happen at times in the Scripture. This is actually very similar to the series we just finished up on in Acts chapter 8. Because Philip had the same issue. Pretty much the same issue where he feels when he meets this African eunuch, he feels that God is leading him to, to baptize him and to, he talks about Jesus, but he had the same issue because there was a clear command that said, no eunuch is to be admitted into the assembly of the Lord, that, that in that day, uh, eunuchs couldn't be baptized. Uh, but Peter, or uh, Philip, does. Again, he, he's sensing something that goes against the, the, the scriptures he had, which was the Old Testament, and he goes ahead and, and baptizes him. And we, we talked all through this that, that Philip obviously looked at the life of Jesus and how Jesus you know, said, you have heard it said, but I say to you how Jesus became this new authority and how Jesus took all these barriers that religion had erected between people and groups and kinds, and, and Jesus destroyed all those constantly, and he, he went against so many of, the, many of the Old Testament laws, and he brought in a new authority that Philip was like, you know, do I go with this verse that says I can't baptize him, or do I go with Jesus and his life and ministry and his model and his teaching? And it's pretty clear that P Philip obviously made the choice based on Jesus. And there are times when we need to make similar choices. And, and Jesus kind of taught a similar thing in Mark 2, where we look at a situation where there are times when we need to put love ahead of law. And we're going to see Peter does that. That's what Philip did. 
And Jesus taught that this, at times, we do this. In Mark 2, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, which were like the religious police of the day, said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Most likely because they have probably walked too far because you're only allowed to walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. But the big issue is that they were harvesting grain because it, to break kernels from a grain top was harvesting and, and reaping, and that was a no-no on the Sabbath. And again, in the Old Testament, God was super serious about this stuff. And people, people died in the Old Testament for breaking Sabbath laws, and, and yet Jesus and disciples were constantly breaking Sabbath laws. I mean, Jesus would say, you know, get up and walk on the Sabbath, which was, you know, people in the Old Testament couldn't even get firewood. And, and so the, the, the Pharisees confront Jesus. And then Jesus responds like he always does with a nice little story. And he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bed, bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. So in response, Jesus said, well, you know, in the Old Testament, David, he actually broke some serious laws, some Old Testament laws in order to love his companions. That he had a choice, my companions can go hungry, and I could follow the law, I could put the law ahead of love and relationship, or I could go break the law and eat this bread and put love ahead of the law. And Jesus seems to be saying to the Pharisees, there are times that we need to put love and relationship ahead of rules, regulation, and, and, and law. And then he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus set himself up as the authority. Uh, you know, when he ascended, he said, all authority had been given to me. He didn't say it was given to Scripture. Scripture has authority, but Jesus is the ultimate authority that we read Scripture through. And this is why Peter, or Philip, when he's trying to decide, do I baptize this guy or not, he goes with Jesus and, and not the Old Testament Scripture. And in and, and, and the sense of that, that love goes over law, and this is exactly what even Paul said in Romans 10. He says, don't owe anything to anyone Accept your outstanding debt to continually love one another. For the one who learns to love has fulfilled every requirement of the law. Love makes it impossible to harm one another. So love fulfills all that love requires. And this was the lesson for Philip and baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is what Jesus taught. And, and the fact David went into the temple and, and eats the bread in order to love his companions. And, and this is going to be the lesson that Peter is going to learn. And we're going to look at this next week. Because Peter, ultimately this vision is going to lead here. In Acts chapter 10 where it says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so God takes this motive of these unclean animals that Peter was not allowed to eat. And then God says, you're allowed to eat them. And he's going to challenge the early church in, in these barriers against Jewish and Jew and Gentile and barriers between people. And God is going to say, no, 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 that's no more. There are no more barriers between, between people. Those barriers have been pour, torn down. And we are to look at all folks as being clean. That we do not consider anyone impure or unclean. And this is all wrapped up in the love of God. And I love this phrase. I read it this week, and I end here from Richard Murray, where he says, When we truly realize God loves us no matter what, 
we will love others no matter who. And we know this in Jesus, that the, the, he's just this, this love, and, and you are so loved today. No matter who you are, or where you've been, or where you've involved in, whether you're up or down, God has this, this shining love that is shining on you, and it's so dip, deep and so rich, and it just, it just burns all the darkness out of it. It's this amazing love that if you just sit in his presence, you, you, just, you feel it and you notice it. And we just absorb that. But the more we realize that this pure, amazing, incredible, deep love that God has for us, all of a sudden we begin to look out at other people who are different than us. Who are, and we just realize that, you know, who am I not to love them? I mean, this rich, deep, incredible love for God. And next week we're going to dive into this lesson that, that Peter faces in terms of seeing people this way. So God, we thank you this morning for your love And God, right now, we just breathe in afresh a reminder, God, that you love every single part of us. God, that you even understand the darkness in us, God, that you are even loving that darkness into light. God, your love is like water. It just flows to those deepest areas of our lives. And God, right now, we just allow your love to flow to those deepest crevices of our life right now, those areas of darkness, those areas of shame. And I feel your love bringing healing. And I feel your love bringing life. I feel your love bringing repentance and goodness. And when we truly realize that God loves us no matter what, we will love others no matter who. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and uh, we're going to close off this time with a song. And we thank you for joining us, and just uh, spend this last moment just, uh, again, sitting in the presence of our Lord. <laughs>